this the finish, my friend. This is the end. It's a revolution. It's a civilian revenge. There's no need to move or adjust your television. Hello and welcome to Q&A episode 235. I'm your forgetful host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. whatever my nickname is. And with me as always. Uh, I'm an FBM. I'm a gunner. Damn for any fanboy master. And suffering from plot-induced amnesia, I'm, um... Okay. Kaiji <laughs> <laughs> Minogatari, uh, Michael Baker. <laughs> I appreciate your commitment to the joke. <laughs> yeah, you gotta... You really gotta make the bit work. Yeah. Uh, so, what have we been playing? What have we been playing? I finished a game. Um, I finished a game. That doesn't but make any sense. You finished one, really? Yes. Guys, uh, so do you remember what you've been playing, given your plot in these days? Do you remember what you've been playing, given your plot in Amnesia? Well, I mean, considering the plot-induced amnesia is largely due to a an apparent end-of-the-world scenario that I slept through in a tunnel under the train tracks. <laughs> um, That's fine. She Megami Tensei 5. Yeah, same. Yeah, also yeah. same. How far have you gotten? I only just did Tokyo Tower. I've been taking it very soon. Oh, so did you beat Hydra? Yeah. I yeah. beat Hydra. How many times did it take? I beat Hydra on hard. Ooh. Live on stream, so I have evidence even. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I wasn't even I wasn't even willing to shit talk it when that happened. I was like, oh well, good job. It was not easy. <laughs> it didn't look it. No. So which which strategy did you use? Um lots of ice and mm -hmm. try and stick him with a status ailment of some variety. Which turned out to be true. Did charm. you realize that he's kind of weak against sleep? I did, and I had a character with Dream Needle, and it was not working. I, mean, I beat him on the unlikely. second try just by um, by making sure I always ended the row of attacks with uh, first a Bufu and then a Dream Needle. And I think I got his most of his heads off before he actually had a chance to spam a hit everyone attack. Nice. Yeah, that yeah. that was my initial strategy. Like, I almost I got him down to the heads fall off part. Uh, I want to say my first or second attempt, and then it just wouldn't stick after that. Like, he would just the stupid thing would not go to sleep. That's a problem. I guess I was just rolling ones. Like, whoa. Um, well, I mean, it's Mega Ten. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that just happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I think we all like it a lot. Yes. I know mm -hmm. I do. I am addicted. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, uh, um, it's incredibly well put together, as far as I can tell so far. Uh, the what what really impressed me, which is not something that I usually expect from the mainline Mega Ten games, just because I don't want to necessarily say they're low budget, but they're like lower budget than Persona for sure. But I've been well really, lower budget than Persona Five. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. I've been incredibly impressed by the uh, animations of all the monsters. 
Oh yeah, demons attacks. now actually have like individualized animations, yeah. which is yes, not it's... something they've ever really done before. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's been quite impressive, and just uh, the freedom you have moving around. Like I keep trying to like figure out like different places I can jump into. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's oh yeah, you'll find a lot of stuff just by jumping into weird. Places. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and sometimes you'll just find, like, oh, there's a silver treasure chest. I'm, I have no regrets about the choices that I've made. And on a, my, my impression of Tokyo right now is, like, this is how I wanted Metal Max Zeno to look. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's so much more interesting, so much more interactive. Um... Just you've got little pockets of monsters in different places, like playing games or gathering things before they attack mm-hmm. you. Um, yeah. In general, I think that uh, the way that the like blasted remains of Tokyo are structured is generally uh, an interesting departure from how the series has worked in the past. Uh, for those who haven't picked up SMT5 yet or haven't played a prior game, like the the prior games typically have a pretty like normal world map style, whereas this one seems to have like gone for a more uh, connected hellscape. <laughs> um, at the start of the game, when you're walking around um, modern day Tokyo and you're, you're yeah, it looks like a home. proper SMT world. Yeah, that's what SMT normally looks like on the world map. Yeah. Did they put that in there just to throw people off or just like as a throwback or something? Almost I'd be shocked if it yeah. doesn't show up again just by virtue of the fact that it's too complex to do as just a goof. But mm, Honestly, I don't know I how. I think it was leading us into thinking this is going to be more normal. In any case, it does feel like a much more fresh take on SMT than... Uh, say four, which was kind of a deliberate throwback. This is kind of a bit more of a uh, since they have a bit more budget and technology available, they're kind of doing something a bit more ambitious, I suppose would be the word for it. But yeah, I've been I've certainly been impressed. Uh, I like the the general flow of the game quite a bit. The the way that like it it really does feel like there's a lot to actually be found in a way that feels more organic than most uh, than any of the prior games. Like you go digging under an underpass and there are just a bunch of demons around there doing something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really appreciated like I found the uh, Apsaris subquest. Uh, and it's just like the way that that's introduced is very fun to see because you just see a bunch of like random, very low level demons all sort of crowding around this Epsaurus and not letting you talk to it. Yeah. Until you prove that you actually can care about little guys. Yep. With the, with then the you've got a choice. To <laughs> yeah. Which is also kind of fun. Like the, that side quest has like an actual plot and idea to it, which is fun. 
yeah uh very pretty very uh well constructed uh interesting i saw it like uh, that animation's wild (laughs) yes it is somebody had fun making that Uh, somebody had fun making lots of parts of this game yeah yeah but it's really good so i'm glad they all had fun (laughs) yeah looking forward to playing more of that i need to go fight pazuzu uh, oh, you fought. You haven't fought Pazuzu yet. Yeah, I fought. I fought uh, Hydra, but has not yet gone on to fight Pazuzu. Yeah, he's not that bad. I beat yeah. that one on the first try. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't expect that trouble. I do uh, want to say one thing that I do appreciate uh, is uh, the addition of the return pillar. Like, that's just a really nice thing to have, because, like, the game is still brutal in many ways. Like, I think if your character goes down, it's still game over. But you have a better, like, if you really are just, like, not confident about reaching the next, like, save slash healing point, you do just have the option of just retreating. Yeah. Yeah. Which is... Handy. Huge boon! Huge boon. (laughs) Although having to pay to heal is a bit rough. I mean, that's just tradition, you know, at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, the way that the protagonist gains skills has shifted yet again. Uh, this one is less easy than the one in SMT4, but it's more immediately customizable, especially your uh, weaknesses. So Yeah, that's something you really need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You kind of end up, uh, instead of you trying to like build up any specific set of weaknesses, especially early on, it's just like, but what is the exact thing that's giving me a problem right now going to be uh, spamming? How can I make myself resistant to that? Uh, yeah, that's, that's that's a real good game. Everyone should play it. Yeah. You know what else? Is really also, it is game. kind of fun that it came out worldwide, so that all three of us can be starting into it early on uh, at the same time. Yeah, that is pretty yep. cool. Mm, didn't didn't see that coming for SMT as a franchise anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it was not released with multiple language options in Japan. So. Oh, that's a shame. Oh, no, I'm used to playing these things in Japanese anyway, so I know all the... Yeah, it's just kind of a shame that you can't switch between them. Yeah, I just can't appreciate whatever effort was put into the translation this time. Yeah, it's been very good. I mean, as you'd expect. You know what other game is really good? What? What? Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah, you said you had finished a game. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes. Except apparently the cloud version on on Switch. Yeah, that's um, 
Cloud games and action games do not mix very well. Yeah, I mean, maybe if you have a really good internet connection, maybe. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not even then. Yeah. Cloud gaming still not really up to the task. Yeah. It's always better than I expect, but not still not good enough to actually yeah. be playable. It's better than you expect, but then your expectations are really low. That's true. Yeah, my expectations are always pretty much rock bottom. And it's like, oh, you're better than rock bottom. You're still not worth using, but... <laughs> I mean, technically, the the algae, the algal mat on top of the rocks is not the bottom. It's true, it's true. But tell us your final thoughts on Guardians. Um, so it wraps up very nicely. It actually has, although a lot of the game is uh, obviously pretty funny, it has some nice emotional bits near the end uh, that I really appreciated. Mm. Uh, the game has a lot of heart. Uh, it's just generally very well written. So uh, I'm very impressed. The The final battle was pretty interesting and then at, during the ending it brought back some of my some of my choices from earlier on in the game in pretty funny ways um not in like this vastly changes the story ways just like oh that's right you made this choice you fool um but i still really appreciate it it's it's very good the final battle was you know just like a classic nice you kind of have to use all the skills you've learned over the course of the game. And, uh, uh, though a lot of, even though I'm playing on hard, a lot of it had been pretty easy, but I had to, I had to do that sequence a few times, but yeah, it was, um, it was very good. And I'm um, hoping now at this point that they get to make another one. Hmm. Um, I suspect them. Yeah. I saw on the, uh, just announced like the game award nominees and it was nominated i i don't know if it was nominated for game of the year but it, like the the story award it was nominated which is definitely deserved yeah i don't it's think it's good. on the game of the year list but the game of the year list on that is always extremely weird yeah but metroid dread is on that list as it should be so that's good i like uh, metroid nerd yeah <laughs> <laughs> But uh, what was I going to say? It's um, it's it's just a really good game. Like, it, it's weird because, you know, if I try and des describe like just the base base uh, gameplay mechanics to someone, it probably won't come it off. It doesn't very sound well. that interesting. Yeah, sort of like the reason that the thing sort that the E three presentation kind of bombed. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But then you sit down and play, and you just have like a giant shit-eating grin on your face the whole time. It's just, it's a lot of games so in the fun. execution. Yeah, and this game sure has a hell of a lot of that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it ends. It ends pretty nicely. Uh, it there's a new game plus that you unlock at the end of the game, which is handy because. I assume you'll have all your abilities and you can make it a little easier to go through and there's probably more secrets and stuff and you can, you know, see what some of the other choices end up as. And um, I definitely noticed my first time through that some of the early enemies have show like weaknesses to certain elemental attacks that you don't even have yet. So uh, I think they definitely planned things with uh, people playing through multiple times in mind. Um, 
So it's nice. It's it's the best way I can like describe it is it's like a telltale game except you actually play it with guns. <laughs> with guns. Because uh, it it actually has like some of the little like oh such and such a person will remember that um, dial or text that pops up on the top of the screen. That's a useful thing to make players feel more connected to their choices. Yeah. And I feel like even in this game, the the choices probably make more of a difference than they did in a lot of those games. So it's it has more budget to sh yeah. show consequences, yeah. and it's also all being made at once, which helps. Yeah. yeah, it's not the game I was really expecting, but it's definitely the game I uh, I don't want to say necessarily needed, but certainly enjoy the hell out of. So I, I cannot recommend it enough. It's one of the best games I've played this year for sure. Nice, nice. As it is SMT5 so far. Yeah. Suddenly things coming out all at the end. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm worrying that my Switch controller on the right is starting to go again. Oh, no. Hmm. It's just I never had the right one go. Yeah. It's, it was the right one last this time last year, too. Huh. It's just, it's been sticking a bit. It's been rotating on its, occasionally rotating on its own. And I'm getting far more disconnect issues with the controllers late in the last three weeks. Weird. Four weeks, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. That sucks. I started noticing with Nino Kuni too. Uh, good thing you were done with that by the time it, was... it became too much of a problem, I suppose. Yeah. Let's see. I've played a little other, a little bit of some other stuff. I've been playing Illusion of Gaia. That's been it's an interesting game. It's a it's a much more uh, middle era Super Nintendo game than the first one, which is a very uh, in the style of an early Super Nintendo game. Uh, mm -hmm. Which game uh, was it again? Illusion of Gaia. Oh, yeah. It's got some um, awesome music. Oh, yeah. Awesome music. Really nice uh, sprite work. Uh, mm. There's a there's like a very clear demarcation of the uh, sprite quality that uh, Quintet has pre and post Act Razor 2. <laughs> and like for whatever reason, Act Razor Two is a gorgeous, gorgeous game. Uh, it's definitely yeah, where so, they got their act together. Uh, they raised their act up, but uh, yeah, as odd as odd as that game is as a sequel to Act Razor, it's aesthetically kind of unimpeachable. But yeah, Illusion of Gaia kind of drags that back into the. Uh, Kind of what the, you know, a evolution of the Soul Blazer mold. There's a lot of, it's it's a very interesting game. Uh, been been enjoying that. I think I talked a little about that last episode. It has, I think I mentioned one of the oddest uh, translation quirks I've ever seen, uh, where it can't seem to decide if it's narrating in first person or third person. 
I mean, and sometimes that's... it seems to like switch to like one character or another specifically talking to the camera, sort of. Yeah, it's, it's very odd, and I'm not sure how intentional that is because I can't really like look at the Japanese script to see like is this a translation error or is it just a quirk of the original script. I think it may actually be a quirk because it kind of fits into the travelogue nature of the plot. Mm-hmm. I'd have to see what I can dig up. I mean, but... it's all about going from place to place, and in a lot of the old 19th century travelogue books, you would alternate third person and first person like that. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, because I mean, yeah, partly because I... a lot of them were told through, um, like, found foot, not found footage, but the equivalent of um, yeah. people. Um, like re relating things for via letters and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They were they were sort of uh, told that they, they were a ton of clippings from different sources. Yeah. Also, the way the original Dracula was told. Uh, yeah. I mean, they had some sim some some uh, similarities in the way it was yeah. formatted. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've been I've been enjoying that. It's it's. Uh, quirky game. It still has that quintet spirit. Uh, I've been collecting all of the red jewels because I might as well unlock the reference to Dullblazer at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a much uh, it's a much more linear game than Dullblazer, which is already a pretty linear game. But like the the way that it's just like, well, you're here and you're not coming back. Mm -hmm is uh kind of kind of a surprise in the wake of that game where you kind of uh flip back and forth across the world map a few times but uh with like there's there's parts of soul blazer where you actually have to backtrack mm -hmm. to a prior city to unlock things so like it's it's a bit of a strange uh change but it's about it's it's about adapting the structure to the game they're making so it makes sense uh, Tam's asking what this is on, and this is a mobile game, Tam. Yes, I'm playing it on my Android tablet. It's also on iOS. Mm -hmm. And you can also potentially play it on an Android emulator on your computer. Although, as emulation goes, that's always a crapshoot. Pull out the dev kit. Uh, what was I going to say? And yes, it does have controller support. But yeah, um, so I've been enjoying that, uh, trying to continue on with it so that I can get through to a, uh, you know, continue writing about, like, the, the major quintet, the quintet games. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah, uh, as, as another bit of PS2 weirdness I also booted up and am intending to properly uh, spend more time with uh, weird early PS2 RPG Sukunai Atonement. Oh, that name sounds familiar. was a game made by a company called Palcall that I don't know much about, although they've gotten themselves jungled up with Metal Max or Metal Saga at some stage. Yeah, that's how I know them. They've been involved with Kratech stuff for a couple of, for over two decades at this point, I think. Yeah, it sort of looks like Sugunai Atonement might literally have been Cattle Call's first game. Mm. Uh, they were 
Uh, Wikipedia claims they're former Data, Data East people. Yep. That, and, I mean, Data East is Metal Max, so... Yeah. Uh, but Stuganai Atonement was like a weird little RPG they made that's like a very early PS2 game, like February 2001 in Japan. Uh, it was like... It, it, it had it, its probably biggest claim to fame at the time in the U.S. was that it had uh, Yasunori Mitsuda as composer. But it was a game like the premise is kind of neat because it's a game where your character goes to the top of a tower and pisses off the local god who cast him out of his body and basically says, "You gotta go do good." You have to go do good things until uh, until I let you back in your body, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have to like go and like possess people and help them resolve their troubles, and that's how you do good deeds to get your body back. Uh, it's you know it's kind of it, it's a cute concept. It's a uh, a little unusual for JRPGs, especially at the era. So I'm interested in playing through it a bit, especially because I have the uh, excuse of caring a lot about uh, very early PS2 games, of which this is definitely one of them. So, huh. uh, thinking back yeah. to one of the other things I remember from Illusion of Gaia. Yeah, yeah. The fact that they actually had the main characters hair blowing in the wind be one of the major um, puzzle indicators. Yeah, there's a lot of like, interesting no, uses no, of sprite no, details. Sorry, sorry. sorry, I just ran past the Tonberry. That's a, that's a oh! Nope, nope. Don't recommend that. Nope. Even in this game, nope. Uh, yeah. Illusion guy. Having, having, a, having a good time with that. Um... I think that's about all I have to report on playing. You got anything else, Gaijin? Nope, just the big one. <laughs> and wheels. Um, uh, well, I feel like I've played something else. No, not really. That's it. <sighs> well, I suppose that uh, brings us to answering some questions. We actually have some in the Discord. Yeah. Oh, unless you want me to talk about this game I'm playing right now. I mean, you could do yeah, a bit of that. There's not much to say. It's, it's a mobile Final Fantasy VII-based battle royale. It's about as good as you could get based on yeah. that statement. It's janky nonsense. It is what it is, and that's all that it is. Yeah. It's not going to blow your mind, but it will probably give you some moments of enjoyment. That's it. Might blow your wallet. Yeah, if you uh, if you want if you want to look like Cloud or Tifa or Aerith, it's gonna cost you. That's how they get you. That's, yeah, of course that's how they get you. In any case, we've got a question in the Discord from Berserk Alicard. Sweet. Uh, it's the anniversary of Skyrim. Can you guys talk about open world RPGs? We can try. No. Uh, oh, I know um, you might not you have. Could, you guys probably can. I'm not as good on the topic. 
I think there's worth in discussing Japan's occasional weird experiments with open-world RPGs, but you can worry about that in a bit. I know you might not have a huge amount to say if it's more of a Western RPG style, but what makes a good open world in general? Um, not memorable land. Wow, I was going to say memorable <laughs> landmarks. Yeah, and we all would probably argue that those are the same thing. Uh, <laughs> but I think that, like, the blueprint of how to make a good open world, like there there have been a few, but. The one that everyone's been following the past few years is Breath of the Wild, and it's, like, really strong sense of place. Mm-hmm. It's like, when you make an open-world game, the, the environment being traversed back and forth from many different directions has to be entertaining from essentially all of them. And so the... The key ends up being making the world memorable and exciting. Uh, and, you know, that there's a lot of different ways to do that and definitely a lot of disagreements about what makes those interesting. But, you know, the, the world becomes the star when you make an open world game. Yeah. So. Yep. And Breath of the Wild does a great job of that, specifically. Mm-hmm. Like people, I've been... people initially like lamented the lack of dungeons, but it's just like, yeah, but the the whole world is the essentially world is. that, not necessarily like puzzle wise, but as far as like adventuring into a dungeon, that's you got a giant one. Yeah, the the world is no longer a hub designed to filter you from place to place. It is now the place you're exploring. Right. Sorry, you were saying good. I was going to say, dungeons are sort of irrelevant in that game because it is the, its own dungeon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like... Uh, I, I was going to bring up the... Uh, well, what I've played so far into smt5 i would not call per se a full open world it does seem to be taking cues from that same idea of yeah like very uh clear uh one, one of the things that uh makes something like uh breath of the wild such a good open world is that there are very specific points that are designed to be goals that you look for but also which gives you a better idea of the area around them and what you care about in that area and the way that smt5's like weird beacon save point slash heliport point ley lines uh function serves a similar purpose of drawing you to that very specific place to uh or uh, the other thing, I forget, they're called like abscesses or something. They're basically uh, these like things that blot out the map until you destroy them. But you have they like a very like specific... big eyeballs. Yeah. And they, yeah. they blot out the map until you destroy them. So they immediately centra- centralize your exploration of a new area as I want to be rid of those. Yeah. And that's, that's a really key thing to helping a player understand an open world that they're uh, that they're wandering around and having a better idea of what 
like because because that's the risk that you run into with a lot of open world rpgs is like there's no focusing point for a player who is unsure of what to do like that's that's the problem i tend to end up with on uh say an elder scrolls game is Mm -hmm. that if i start like there will be something if i cast out in any direction but i have no particular reason to cast out in any specific direction, so I don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So the centralizing function of, say, the eyeballs or the towers, like, is very important to making the game navigable and still feel like it has a coherent structure for players to crave that, like myself. <laughs> uh, a similar, uh, really good open world, I'd say, was would be The Witcher Three. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like um, maybe has like some wide open. I don't want to say generic, but just typical areas like you would see in necessarily an Elder Scrolls game. But you go anywhere, and there's always like quests and different things and different characters to find. Just it feel it. It doesn't feel like a video game world. It feels like an actual world you're exploring. Hmm. Um, uh, also, Tam is asking how badly you've done on this. Um, no comment. That's all you need to know. But yeah, uh, Witcher 3 is also one of those ones where, like, uh, it gives you a strong enough core quest hook that it can get away with having more areas that are a little more, uh, bereft of immediate content because you always have like a strong plot hook to pull you to the next actual area so you can have these more naturalistic like this is a swamp what do you want to be in a swamp (laughs) uh as opposed to like if you have you know a a game that maybe had a less strong plot hook the lack of anything to do in the swamp now becomes a problem because the player may have sent, set out into the middle of the swamp because they were looking for something to do and now can't find it. <laughs> and now have to find a way out of the swamp. Yeah, pretty much. Give me... That's that's another key thing. It's just give me a very convenient way to get to some place that I know has things I'm looking for. Like, let me warp back to, like, a town I found or whatever. Why I can't play Morrowind. Also because the combat's bad. Uh, in any also, case... So every dungeon in that game looks exactly the same. Yeah. That's not what... But that's not what's stopping. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any open world games you like or don't like so much? Uh, well, we kind of hit that. Uh, Breath of the Wild, mm-hmm. Witcher 3. Uh, we... Uh, like, in as much as we, you could consider what's happening in SMT5 to be an open world, I think that's a very good one. Yeah, I have a good open world I don't like in a game that I really love. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be Horizon Zero Dawn. Mm-hmm. Which I think Interesting. Um, has very nice areas and very good uh, encounters, but going from place to place in it is incredibly boring. <laughs> 
mm. and tedious and just not well thought out as far as open worlds go. Also, Tim says you're coming in quiet, guys. Uh, sorry, I'm just not talking very loud. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Uh, but you were saying, Wheels, Horizon. Yeah, Horizon Zero Dawn. I mean, it's... I mean, you go down, like... You go to any, like, area where, okay, you're going to fight some monsters, or if you do a story quest, it's all fine. But just, like... The way it's designed just doesn't necessarily leave it open to, like, exploration. Like, uh, the mechanics for, like, climbing and stuff stink. Mm -hmm. hmm. And it's kind of like the opposite of Breath of the Wild, where you can climb on anything. You can climb on almost nothing. And not only that, the fact that they went very much... RPG with it means that there's areas like locked off to certain levels which in some respects makes sense but it just feels it feels like a game that's open world to check a checkbox not because it necessarily makes sense for the game it's open world because open world is something that is it gets it past concept approval publishers like it and it's a popular design yeah right as opposed if... to the correct one for the game like if you if you presented me a version of that game that doesn't have the open world but has maybe like a static world map that takes you from location to location, I would say yeah, this is just as good as <laughs> as having the mm -hmm. actual open world. Yeah, that's that's kind of a detriment, and like that doesn't mean the game is bad. Like no, the right. open like world also isn't hurting it too much. Like but I it said, it's it's a brilliant game. Uh, especially story-wise and like presentation-wise, it's just like that aspect of it never really did anything for me at all. I just wanted to get to the next story point or get to like side the next side quest or whatever I was doing. Zero interest in exploring or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Also, Tam asks, "This is Sector Seven." And I forget the exact what the game rules on where that actual uh, how to describe this where the game rules that that park that Wheels was running through is it's pretty iconic, but it's definitely Between close to Sector, sector five, 5 and Sector 7. So Sector 6 is what you're saying. No, I think that's somewhere else. Yeah, it is. Know, um, whatever. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of like you. The problem is that I don't usually develop a distaste for an open world game because if I'm going to, if I'm not interested fairly quickly, I'm usually done with it before I grow irritated enough to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> so I I think uh. If I was going to point out bad open worlds, I'd be probably pointing out things that aren't RPGs. Uh, because I'd be pointing out things that, like, from uh, the... Especially from early in the experimentation with open world and console games, where it's like, we've taken a real city map and turned that into an open world game and I just want to beat them with a rolled up newspaper and say, no, that's not actually fun to navigate. Around. You don't like driving around LA in real life. Don't make it your game. <laughs> I was going to say, but 
what at least one of the Yakuza or several of the Yakuza games basically did that with sections of Tokyo and other cities. Yes, but they're always slightly fictionalized and just bite-sized enough that they can get away with it. Yeah. That's the other thing that uh uh, one one other thing that I appreciate about uh, something like Yakuza is one Yakuza never uh, thought you know what we're gonna try to do all of Tokyo, but yeah. uh, the Yakuza is always very good at presenting the atmosphere of the of whatever part of Japan that it's trying to put forward, and they'll pull in pieces of the local geography uh, to uh, help. Create that sense of place, but it's not completely wedded to how to how the real place is laid out. It just pulls in pieces of it that fit the game. Yeah, it's a that's another that's another good one. It's kind of underrated. It's just have a sense of restraint. You don't need to make the biggest one of these. Make one that like. Each like if you have run out of ways to differentiate places in your open world, you can go ahead and stop adding to it. <sighs> That's one reason why I like to think of some of like the DS Metal Max games as at least semi open world. Oh yeah, they definitely are. Yeah, because it's it's all about just go out, find stuff. You often have multiple directions you can go into late in, towards the mid game, and everywhere is weird. Mm -hmm. Some of the saga yeah. games are kind of like this as well. Yeah. Because, like, the, the limitation is not some plot constraint in some of these, so much as it's, well, where can you manage to get without getting killed? <laughs> yep. And I, I would consider those, like, Japanese RPG experimentations with the concept of open world, same as Metal Max. And I like those a lot as well, because, again, those are very much built around in the same mold as Breath of the Wild of, like, make sure that each place has a very distinct identity. Yep. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Uh, yeah, uh, a few more facets to this question. Do you know anything about the early games of this style? Uh, so the thing about it is that like this concept existed long before people had a name for it. Also, mm -hmm. I think Wheels is about to die of Mako poisoning. Yeah, he just died. Yes. Uh, but yeah, th this style existed long before we had a name for it, to the point where you could fairly reasonably argue that Ultima 1 is an open-world RPG. Uh. Mm -hmm. uh, because, like, the thing about it is that originally, uh, you know, you get these really old RPGs, and they don't have a linear structure because dependent event flags that compose a linear structure are kind of difficult and time-consuming to make. So a lot of them just have, duh. And if you do all the stuff, the game ends. <laughs> But uh, also, Tam says that was a good round. Uh, Thank you, Tam. Uh, I got a few notifications in my uh, Twitch. Hold on here. What's up, Tony? 
Good to see you on the stream. Uh, thank you for the six month sub Hollywood. And mm -hmm. um, I'm not just this based on the first Captain America movie. Um, sure. I almost made that joke myself of Captain America: The First Soldier. The... Oh, oh, duh, duh. <laughs> duh. What are we talking about? Oh, he's playing FF7, the first soldier, and the subtitle of Captain America 1 was Captain America, yeah. the first Avenger. Yeah. No, yeah. And yes, Hollywood, uh, this, this game is definitely riffing a lot on Fortnite, for sure. Can't believe they've done this. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you, if you look at really early uh, RPGs, they tend to kind of be almost open world by default. And then uh, linear games come out of these as a way to like structure exploring these large, random feeling worlds. Yeah. Uh, and then we start seeing attempts to be make more deliberate open RPGs, and so you start running into something like, say. A Final Fantasy 2, which has elements of this kind of thing, just because you can really get yourself into trouble by going in the wrong direction, like going far into the wrong direction. I mean, it's or, possible to reach my city at a ridiculously low level. Yeah. Uh, Shit, I just people got do that just for kicks. Yeah. Oh, hey. Good to see you get raided. Uh... But yeah, or Darkside, what's up? Thank you for the raid. But yeah, there's there's some early uh, things that would maybe be more properly described as open world in the early '90s. There's like a, I'll say like a Bethesda Terminator game from the early to mid 90s that's like a weird open world action game <laughs> um, yeah the Terminator Future Shop is like a 95 semi open world FPS game but that would have been after Elder Scrolls Arena which is a pretty kind of very strange product Forget if open if Elder Scrolls Arena had like an infinite generated world or not. Um, um, but yeah, that's that's neither here nor there. But yeah, uh, it's it's in the '90s that you start seeing more uh, Western developers more deliberately playing with the concept of how to structure an open world and like making the openness of the world a selling point. Um, also I've around not... the time when you start getting machines with the capability of managing that much detail at once. True, true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there is definitely a technical component to why it took so long to get these things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the, uh, especially 3D open worlds are were a very intensive uh, concept, and that's why you don't see a lot of them on, say, a PlayStation. But um, I've not played it, but heard things like Elder Scrolls Daggerfall has the biggest open world of any game because of the way it was developed. Uh, the content and bugs were, of course, much worse, size and scale. Curious to hear more about it if you know any info. 
Yeah, Daggerfall is a game that is technically about as large as game, as any game has ever been, but in a very academic sense because very little of that content was designed. Um, Procedural stuff, or yeah, well, basically the way that it worked was that they like they couldn't count on the player's computer to be. Uh, capable of procedurally generating. So what they did is they basically made a giant seed in the Bethesda offices and then hand like uh, hand edited a handful of sections of that seed. And so you have a few places in Daggerfall that are like actual semi-designed areas that have been uh put together by people who were actually intentionally designing a video game. And then you have 99% of that open world, which is just literally a computer made this. Uh, out of, like, handfuls of scraps of things that can be in, that can be used to populate town. So, like, here's a randomly generated character who lives in a randomly generated town who, di uh, who has a generic quest type that they can, like, randomly pull certain parts from and, like, so all those towns are populated with stuff, but none of it's actually designed and none of it's very interesting. Or maybe uh, they've generically taken an arrow to the knee. I mean, sometimes <laughs> they've uh, generic... <laughs> sometimes they've generically died without uh, warning you, or sometimes they've generically fallen into a horrible brown void that can never be escaped. Was anyone in that game named Gene Eric, by chance? I mean... I'm sorry, that was there's... the worst. That was literally the worst joke. I, I would, I could, Wheels, I'm going to, I'm going to, like, answer your joke with a serious answer. You would just have to look through what uh, name list that the game originally pulled from to be able to tell if there's someone in there that was cursed with that name. <laughs> uh, I could see Eric being on that list. I'm not sure I believe Gene is, though. But, yeah, it's, it's one of the first things, like, uh... Yeah, it's gigantic. Uh, it was made by a very confused computer, and uh, it's very much the way I would describe as not how open-world games should be made. But it sure had that breath going for it. There's a reason they never did that. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't... I don't really get why they went about this but in this fashion, but yeah. people eventually settled on an estimate of Daggerfall size as 161,600 kilometers. Why? 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 Also, I why? don't know. <laughs> but it, it's very much... Uh, one of those things where I would describe what happened as being drunk with power. <laughs> Which, yeah, you I did don't... it because you could, but you never asked if you should. Pretty much. Um, yeah, and the official numbers apparently given for Elder Scrolls Arena are unclear and essentially unfalsifiable, so that's fun. Uh, the game is simply too large. It's I'm not sure uh, 
I'm not sure that it's actually possible for any one person to play Arena long enough to get an accurate estimation of its size. But hmm. yeah, don't don't play those because they don't work and they're not fun. Very ambitious, very technically impressive at the time, very not fun. Uh, only, only do not play unless you are very interested in what uh, helped spawn the modern uh, open world RPG trend. And even then, maybe just watch some footage. They they're exceptionally hard to get running. Like you're gonna be from around with DOSBox for quite a while. Hmm. Shit. So Darkseid just raided my channel after finishing Spider-Man PS4. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Spider Bros. That's a that's a rough ending. Yeah, it's a really good one, though. Yeah. really yeah, pays off a lot in that yeah, plot. it's really good. The funny story is I was playing the end of that game, like, with my kids watching, and it's just like, okay, I have to try and figure out how not to, like, cry like a baby while my kids are sitting with me playing this Spider-Man game. It is very weird to play a Spider-Man game where it's like, oh, I really like, I really didn't want that villain to end up the way that he did. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's the best Spider-Man movie that is also a game. Oh yeah, definitely. It's got the extra time it needs to really feel like it's earned. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am shocked that you managed to not talk about the No Way Home trailer. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Oh, <laughs> we have to? We do. We it up. We're going to talk about it right now, There's... actually, while we have Spidey on the uh, brain. Uh, I do want to bring up something that I thought was very funny, which was a, I saw a Twitter thread of someone translating uh, Japanese people watching that trailer trying to work out what the fuck Doctor Strange meant when he said to Scooby-Doo this crap. <laughs> <laughs> like, there was, there, uh, like, excuse there me, was... please Scooby-Doo this crap? Thank you. Sure, okay. In any case, it was extremely, like, it was extremely funny because the s- subtitles were basically like, you know, we all need to do this or some shit like that. But uh they then but you know they could still hear that he's saying something about Scooby Doo <laughs> and a lot of them seemingly had only they couldn't tell what they had heard one because it's a weird phrase that doesn't make any sense uh two <laughs> two when they did work it out they started like what does that mean what could that mean and then some of them went off on this wild hair thinking it was a specific reference to a specific piece of Scooby-Doo media. Oh, God. So that was that was a rough hand to deal anyone who was not speaking English but could tell that their local translation yeah. had not accurately, uh, had not directly translated what he had said. Yeah. Or could not translate what he had said. Yeah, like it would—it would be impossible to fully describe what the fuck he's talking about. I speak English and I barely understand what he meant. <laughs> but yeah, so that—that's—that was the—that was the most fun that I got out of that trailer because I'm a curmudgeon. <laughs> you curmudgeon. But yeah, it's uh, fine. I still haven't seen Homecoming or Far From Home. You monster. 
I'm sorry, Wheels. Uh, what? It, well, it was clear from the trailer that they there's definitely more cameos and whatnot that they're very clearly trying to hold back until the movie comes out. Willem Dafoe's here, baby. Yeah, I was yep, trying and to... I'm getting enough spoilers just from not reading the past the headlines, so yeah. yeah. I was trying to figure out if that was like a line from a previous movie to throw or if that was just something new in this movie, but yeah. I mean, I was just talking about how they had like his Green Goblin pasted on the poster. Oh no, he talks during that trailer. Uh, you can hear his voice during one of the parts. I assume that they at least got him in to do a line yeah. or two. Uh, but what else was? was no, I, I mean say? one of the one of the news articles that I did not manage to have go past fast enough without reading the um, intro Headline. on Yahoo's front page. Said something about Tom Holland not realizing who he was talk who was walking past him with a hood up until or oh, for a few seconds and realizing it was Willem Dafoe <laughs> on set. Oops. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, he's in the movie. It's not just yeah. a few lines yeah. here anywhere. Um, I also clearly saw a shot of the Green Goblin from. The uh the other Spider-Man movies, what's his name? Like the Garfield movies. Yeah, I don't remember. I never saw those. They're I saw great. the first one. I did not see the second one. The first one is okay. Garfield's a good Spider-Man in search of a better movie. Yes. Uh, also the lizard. Oh uh, yeah. Dr. And Sandman. They they really just want to find a way to do a sinister sex movie. Yeah. They're just bringing so everybody they, in. Yeah, like the, this is this feels like the the logical end point is there's six of them. It's going to be the Sinister Six because yeah. that's what they want to do. Multiversal Sinister Six. It's true. It's true. But yeah, it looks like we've got two from the Raimi verse. We've got probably at least two from the Garfield verse. It seems like. We'll... So I think the original rumor was Electro, yeah, and probably the sorry, lizard. Electro was definitely in the trailer too. Yeah, um, Electro, Sandman probably was... the lizard. Yeah. The, the oh, cool... Sandman. I, I saw like the huge sand head. Yeah, he's definitely image. In there. Okay, so, so that seems that gets us to five already. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, there's potentially two Green Goblins, although that. You know, that may not actually be the case. Yeah, I wouldn't count that for being the Sinister Six anyway. Right. Like, but, you would uh, need a second... You would need another villain. <laughs> but in uh, Craven the Hunter, just to piss wheels off. They already did that for the next Spider-Man game. I'm excited. No, it'll actually work, work very well for video game... game, game I like Craven game the Hunter. Wheels doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, waiting for one of these movies to be an adaptation of Craven's Last Hunt. He also, like grinds his teeth in fury. Uh, one of the cool things I did like was how they redid Electro for how he was in that movie. Mm-hmm. I think he would like looked blue. Something. Yeah, yeah that was. Uh, yeah, like isn't that how he looked in the Garfield movie? Skin. Yes. Now that like from this trailer. Uh, is not how he looked in the Garfield movie. Mm. That can only be seen as an improvement. Yeah. 
I'm actually looking up who was in the original Sinister Six, and we're, we're pretty far afield from that, although we've got plenty of the ones that actually were. Uh, originally, it's Dr. Octopus, Electro, Craven the Hunter, the original Mysterio, the Sandman, the original Vulture. Unfortunately, I believe both <laughs> Mysterio and the Vulture are dead in this continuity. Uh, Vulture is uh, not dead. Oh, okay. Vulture, Vulture is in prison. Yeah. And okay. he, he met a guy who is has the same name as Scorpion in at least one version of Marvel continuity. Mm, I know that. Fair enough. But in in and, any case, uh, uh, Mysterio we're definitely not saying Mysterio. Playing him in years. Oh. Yeah, and Mysterio is probably dead, maybe. Well, the, definitely probably. The, I mean, the first guy who's Mysterio is dead, but there's nothing to say that somebody well, else isn't going to be wearing fishbowl anytime in the future. Well, maybe it's also still Mysterio. Yeah. I just want to bring up the best use of Mysterio ever made in any piece of media, and that's the Spider-Man 2, the Raimi Spider-Man 2 video game. Did you play this, Wheels? Uh, way back in the day. Okay, if you don't remember... That one, like, the last encounter, like, most of the encounters you have with Mysterio, he's just, like, trying to challenge Spider-Man to get through his special effects bullshit. But at the end, you see him just trying to, like, stick up a fucking, like, convenience store. <laughs> you run in, and it does, like, this big exaggerated thing where, like, a boss health bar appears, and then it fills up again, and it fills up, like, he has three health bars. It's this giant thing, and then you punch him in the face once, and they all immediately drain. <laughs> Because he's just Mysterio. He's just Blake. His ability to appear powerful is the only thing he has. Right, that's pretty great. Yeah, it's fantastic. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's in my heart. That is what I always think of when I think of Mysterio. Is that? Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, tell, tell us your full opinion. We also know you've got plenty of thoughts. On the trailer? Yes. Uh, it looks like a very fun movie. Um, I hope there are actually other Spider-Men in it, because that would be, like, perfect. Uh, Spider-Verse Miles Morales is just going to be there floating also, around in CG. That would be a weird... <laughs> Uh, but I also <laughs> hope they don't actually show any of like uh, the example I like to bring up is when Hulk was in um, the last Thor movie. Thor Yes, it's like this really cool moment where they see each other again, and they just show it off in the trailer. And I kind of thought that sucked. <laughs> they did that because there's no surprise here. It's yeah. just like, oh, here's here's Hulk. Because that's the ad. Yeah, because like, <laughs> uh, granted, that's a thing you're only going to get once. That's a moment you're only going to have once in the theater. But it's a really. Cool it would have been a cool moment to have in the theater. Like it would be, it would be like had they shown um, Kylo Ren cutting what's his name in half in the trailer for the Last Jedi. That would have sucked. I thought you just called him what's his name. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't remember what the hell his name was. I think it was Snoke you're thinking of. Yeah, Grand Admiral, who's who's it? Who's it? What's it? I don't know. I'm gonna call him Bob. I'm gonna Bob. In any case, half. I do. Uh, in any case, 
yeah, it, uh, I don't know. People seem real pumped for it. I have not seen the recent Spiders Man, so. I, uh. My, my hype is muted. Uh, I don't know. It seems like at least it might be fun. So that's I mean, something. I'm going to be a hundred times more hyped for the first trailer for uh, Spider-Verse 2, to be honest. But you know, Oh, that, that's that's going to be a point with viewing for yes. like Spider-Verse 2. But, I mean, this 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 looks fun. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what's how Spider-Man movies are going to go from here, if they have like an extended deal with Marvel, or if it's or what the hell they're going to do. Um, They've been keeping mom I mean, on it, but Disney will uh, move Sony side with, to keep <laughs> uh, on the Sony side with Venom and Morpheus and other movies coming out, it really looks like they're trying to spin off their own uh, cinematic universe. Yeah. I, oh, I, yeah, they've been hungry to do that. And I'd honestly yeah. be fine with that. There's enough meat on the Spider-Man bone that they can do a lot of cool things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when they wanted to do a Sinister Six movie without Spider-Man, and I'm not sure what that would look like. Yeah, what is what even would the point of that be? I guess you could maybe make a heist movie. God, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I think I think Wheels is dying. The whole uh, point is like it's oh god, it's like a whole group of villains against one Spider-Man, and it's... yeah, the the Sinister Six exists as like the impossible odds that Spider-Man has yeah. to take on. And it's an they're idea, not it's an idea that works so well that they keep doing it, and it kind of keeps working. <laughs> Worked well in the Spider-Man PS4 game, and they had a whole Sinister Sinister Six War uh, storyline recently that was pretty cool. So. Yeah, like the Sinister Six is one of those things where it's like, this is an unstoppable force, except also they kind of all hate each other. Yeah. Because they're they're all assholes. Yep. It's like the only thing preventing them from actually winning is themselves. Yep. Yeah, it's it's without a focal point to focus on, the Sinister Six, Sinister Six doesn't make any sense. You can make a Venom movie without Spider-Man. They've made that function... But you can't make a Sinister Six movie without Spider-Man no. because they have nothing to tie them together. They're just a bunch of dudes that yeah. are assholes and kind of hate each other. Yeah, like the Venom movie worked fine. I still don't. I, I still think Venom functionally only really—I I wouldn't say only really works, but primarily functions best as a you know the the. You know, shadow archetype of uh, Spider-Man. Yeah, no, I think he works best that way. But the way they rejiggered it was yeah. You can you can make him it. work. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, didn't didn't they hint at uh, Venom being in that trailer as well in some fashion? Uh, maybe. I saw I people chattering about that. I must have missed that. But I think people were assuming it's like Spider-Man speed now. Oh, please don't bring back Topher Grace's Venom. No, thank you. <laughs> Listen, Topher Grace delivered the single most incredible thing in that original Spider-Man 3 movie, which is him, like, fucking praying at a church asking God to kill Spider-Man. <laughs> okay, that was pretty good. <laughs> but I thought the single best moment of that movie was the dance. Oh god, the dance is really good, and the way that they reference it in Spider Verse is really good. It's perfect. 
I love that Spider-Verse is doing this like weird half thing where it's like, well, it's kind of the Raimi Spider-Man and it's kind of Ultimate Spider-Man and it's kind of its own Spider-Man. And yeah, so they, it's just free to reference all of those. Yeah, they have like the upside down kiss from the first Spider-Man movie, but it's yeah, they have the upside down kiss. They have the dancing, but he's in the Spider-Man costume when he's dancing, so it's obviously not exactly the same. Yeah, it's 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 a very good thing. And then of course, like spoilers, it's also reference effing rules. <laughs> oh yeah, that entire that entire movie isn't really strong, but there's also the bit right at the. Where it's like talking about him making ill-advised merchandising decisions. It's just generally like a riff on the amount of weird Spider-Man spin-off media that exists. And I need to reference again the weird Spider-Man Christmas song that there is a full version of, but like two-thirds of the way through, he just starts crying and having an existential breakdown. <laughs> Which, if you've never heard it, is something to hear and worth uh, tracking down. Just going to YouTube and checking out the Spider-Verse Spider-Man Christmas song. Yeah, they did so much. I remember that. that. Yeah, it's just it's so great. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a fantastic movie, and the fact that they managed to make all of those Spider-Man work is really good. Spider-Man. Do animals talk in this universe? Spider-Man. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to freak him out. Well, I need I need your opinion on what alternate Spider-Man you would most want in Spider-Verse Two uh, as a new one, other than Spider-Man twenty ninety nine. Twenty ninety nine seems inevitable given the well, tease was, at the yeah, end. It was teased at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than that one, because that would be my number one. Yeah, because I mean that's one of the most most one of the most interesting Spider-Mans to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a good question with so many good answers. <laughs> um, I mean, Silk is is a good one to get another female Spider-Man in there. Yeah, they got a lot of options there as well. She's just kind of a fun character. I read um her the recent comic run they had for her. Um. But she's kind of interesting because her whole deal is like she was locked in a bunker for like ten years or something. So she's kind of, kind of like out of out of place. So like she works for J. Jonah Jameson's outfit, and everyone calls her analog because she doesn't know about all the di- digital stuff. <laughs> Just an interesting it's character. Right. She's gonna have to have been in that bunker a long time to escape escape some stuff. <laughs> True. But yeah, just uh, it would be an interesting character to throw in the mix. So Tam has graciously linked in the Discord that uh, full Spider-Man Christmas song. Nice. Uh, well, since there, there's I, I haven't read the actual Spider-Verse comic yet. I know there's a bunch more, probably in there. I wonder I if they that. try doing try if they try doing Tokusatsu Spider-Man. And Spider-Man. Oh. And what I'm wondering yeah, yeah, is... Yeah. Wow. I mean, they could. I really doubt that that IP would cost them a lot to license out. I believe that they've joked about the concept. They joked about wanting to do it. So I wouldn't say never on that idea. Yeah, I'm curious how they're going to do the movie, because there's a lot of 
different ways they can approach it. Like obviously just like a continuation of Miles' story or they can focus on another character or even focus on the origin of another different Spider-Man as like the central focus of it. But There's a lot of options. There's a lot of options, do, yeah. I do kind of want another Miles movie because I like Miles a lot, but we'll see. Yeah, that's, yeah he's a I'm, good one to go with. I'm guessing that's what they're going to do. Yeah. In which case, I would like a uh, Gwen spinoff movie, please, and thank you. I think they actually already threatened the intention to do that. Sweet. Um, Yeah. Also, more Spider-Ham. And more focus on the fact that he is a spider bitten by a radioactive pig. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> that is a really hard one to communicate with the amount of springtime that he has. Yes. yes. I honestly I think did... I missed that the first time I saw the movie. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, well, that is very much his comic origin. Yes. Spider ri- bitten by a radioactive pig. That's so weird. <laughs> weird comic. What a weird choice. Man. Yeah. Well, Spider-Man always sends us off on tangents. I'm just sitting here beating up demons and wondering when we're going to get back to something more normal. (laughs) It'll never be normal, but let's see. We could probably hit a few of uh, the Firefighter buffs. Also, that I also need to be picking up daughters in about fifty minutes. Um, fifty uh, or fifteen? Oh yeah, it's way later 15. than I thought it was. I'm surprisingly not tired this week. I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, it's let's let's just the, get a couple fire minor questions. It's the time change. Wrap things up. Uh, let's see, uh, this is not an RPG Wait. question, but it's mm-hmm. a tangent. I can go on fairly quickly, so I'll do it. Uh, can we talk a bit about how important the original Nintendo make prior RT third-person melee combat? Uh, that's very much the sort of thing that I normally talk about on my Patreon. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, both incredibly important. Onimusha is actually a huge influence on Devil May Cry by accident, so that's fun. Uh, but in general, uh, both were very important at sort of uh, determining how a character should... Uh, focus attacks in absence of the player having given a good direction about where their attacks should be going, and just generally the way that melee combat should focus on typically weapons that have large sweeping arcs so that the player doesn't have to uh, be super precise in 3D space. That's always good. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I, I will briefly bring up that Devil May Cry's entire uh, combo system came from a bug in Onimusha. Uh, One of the uh, internal things at Capcom that would happen sometimes is people would be called in to help test each other's games. Hideki Kamiya, who directed Devil May Cry 1, uh, was doing some bug testing on Onimusha, and... An enemy got stuck in the air, and he was able to just keep slashing at them as they sort of juggled in the air. And he was like, "Oh, this is really fun. How did I do this? Do this?" And the <laughs> director of that game is like, "That's a bug." <laughs> uh, but 
uh, he enjoyed it, and it helped tie together the combat loop of Devil May Cry, so it was added into Devil May Cry as a feature where you had, like, oh, well, this button combo knocks the enemy into the air, and then you can do whatever you want to them while they're stuck. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's why, as they always say, it's not a bug. bug became a feature. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know what, I just realized that means that you could actually have a category that links Devil May Cry and Octodad. Yeah, yeah. And Street Fighter 2. <laughs> yeah, because apparently they're both based on a control bug issue that... A different game. <laughs> yep, yep. But yeah, it's a... Uh... <laughs> It's a very strange. Uh, it's a, it's strange, but you know, part of part of what makes uh, part of you know making a uh, good game is understanding uh, when something that was unintended can still be used. So, and then you know. That certainly helped. That defines Octodad, and that certainly defines a lot about how Devil May Cry functions as well. So, let's see. But yeah, I can elaborate on that further. I like. Um, I might write a Patreon post about this sometime. So, if you want to check that out. Uh, speaking of Capcom, which genres, genres, features have they pioneered besides the obvious, like survival horror? Uh, Fighting games, like the pre-Street Fighter 2 and post-Street Fighter 2 fighting games might as well be different genres for how much Street Fighter 2 just completely changed the game. Uh, it did a lot for platform action. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, when especially... When you're a company as old as Capcom, there's going to be a list of games that, or styles that you somehow pioneered just by being there. Yeah, uh, I would say that the original Ghosts and Goblins is a very influential early platformer that essentially the entire Castlevania franchise owes its existence to. Uh, I still remember how um, in Project Cross Zone, how everybody treats Arthur from Ghosts and Goblins. Oh, they like, treat him with a lot of reverence. <laughs> he's like he's like a god among men for just all the crap he has survived, mostly in his underwear. <laughs> so, I can't blame them. Yeah. Uh, besides scrolling beat em up, uh, was essentially like they did not create it. Like, I mean, the earliest, like, recognizable example would probably be something like Double Dragon. But after Final Fight, everything is is directly knocking off Final Fight and not Double Dragon. So it's uh, like they they took control of some of the genres. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, Cap Capcom's. Uh, got kind of uh, a murderer's row of really important um, contributions to just about every genre. RPGs are actually one of their weakest uh, suits. Mostly because they, like, certainly they, they've made some, but, you know, outside of Breath of Fire, it's not a lot. One of their most important ones is actually not important to what it did to RPGs, but what it did to horror games, and that's Sweet Home. Which is an RPG, but you know, really, most obviously, it spawned Resident Evil. Yeah. But, um, and what, wasn't Resident Evil one um, kind of described as a, an attempt to remake Sweet Home originally? 
it, it's like it was like a spiritual successor. Uh, its producer Tokuro Fujiwara uh, was like very obsessed with the idea of making an actually scary game, which is something he had been he had been a key player on Sweet Home, and like that was the game he was sort of going back to. And it's like I want to do, I want to make an actually scary game. I want to improve on what I was attempting with Sweet Home. Fujiwara actually uh, left Capcom shortly after Resident Evil 1, although he was apparently the reason that game didn't get cancelled. But, uh... Apparently, like, he was he was very good in the producer role of, like, liaising with uh, the upper management of Capcom, which he was, like, very close with, obviously, because he was one of their... He, he created Ghosts and Goblins. He was, like, one of their early, like, you-do-everything. But, uh... Tokuro Fujibara, uh... was... a... uh... He, he... apparently was the one that shielded Resident Evil from being cancelled, because they spent quite a while trying to work out how it should function. And... Uh, he apparently, like, the people working on the game, like Shinji Mikami, never really realized how close it came to being cancelled until after the game was out. Which is, it speaks well for him as a producer that he was able to shield the team to such a degree that they weren't even aware of what danger the game was in. Uh, Fujiwara left Capcom shortly afterwards. He would work on he briefly had his own company called Whoopi Camp, which made uh, Camp? these. Huh? Whoopi Camp? Yeah, Whoopi Camp, who made a pair of PS1 platformer RPGs called uh, Tomba and Tomba 2. And I then, remember those. Yeah, they're, they're very cute. I like them a lot, actually. They're, like I said, they're kind of a weird fusion of platformer RPG. They're very interesting. Uh. But uh, after that, I believe Whoopi Camp was like either deactivated or absorbed by Sony in some fashion. And uh, his he's credited with working on a very forgettable early PS2 game called Extermination that I just realized I'm going to have to write about. <laughs> uh, that's that's a weird game because it's got a it has Tokuro Fujiwara and it's also one of the first games that. Uh, Hidetaka Suihiro is credited on, who would go on to be famous for things like Deadly Premonition. Uh, like, it's an extremely dull game that, uh... Let's see. Sam says that he had a friend who loved Extermination. I, it's an odd game. I would, I would describe it personally as quite dull, but, you know, it's important, I suppose. But yeah, uh, yeah, extermination, and then Fujiwara just sort of disappeared from the game industry for a very long time. Except that every ten or so years, Capcom hires him back to do another Ghosts and Goblins. Like <laughs> official Ghosts and Goblins games, there seems to be some sort of internal edict that they have to involve Fujiwara in some fashion, because they hired him back to do uh, Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, Chomakaimura, not Cho, no, uh, Gokumakaimura. Uh, Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins for PSP, and then the recent and like that was like 2006, and there was an updated version of it in like 2008. Like they got him on a contract basis to do those, and then this year there was Ghosts and Goblins Resurrection, 
which they again contracted him to direct. And I guess like I guess there's some internal edict that at Capcom is like we can't do Ghosts and Goblins without Toku and Fujiwara, <laughs> which is kind. Of but yeah, uh, Capcom responsible for a lot of major genres in its own way. Uh, uh, I guess this is one that we can all sort of say something about and then maybe uh, close things out. Uh, uh, this one is... Do you guys have any hard limit on how old a game would uh, you would go back to? Uh, like, who would want to play Catacomb 3D even when considering how revolutionary it was? Uh, I, I feel like the only is. hard limit is that it's a pain in the ass to play certain old games. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I, yeah. can, I can go back and play Pong. That's fine, but... Yeah. Like, like I'm a... I'm a freaking idiot, so I'll play anything. <laughs> Basically, if I think it's historically yeah. interesting enough. Well, I actually I don't have a copy, a physical copy I could share with you, but I do have Esper Dream downloaded on my 3DS. <laughs> so, uh, how dedicated are you, Dave? Uh, very stupid and somewhat dedicated, so I'd probably play at least a few hours of Esper Dream before giving up in disgust. It's still a better game than Stargazer. Yeah, but that's... Like, if you have to clear, to defend something by saying, well, it's better than Stargazer, it's like you have damned it with the faintest possible praise. Yeah. Pretty much, yes. Not, not as bad as Gonzo Sayuki Super Monkey Daivokan. What? What's that? What? That is one of the most legendary Kusoge on the Famicom. It uh, is a cartridge game with loading times. Oh, no. <laughs> that no. shouldn't even be possible. How? I don't know. <laughs> Gonzo Sayuki Super Monkey Daibokan is also infamous for one of the like messages hidden in its code that's basically just the programmer complaining that he's lonely and horny. Interesting. So, well, not that interesting. It's, really. it's terrible. It's one of those things where it's just more interesting because it's like, well, that makes perfect sense given what this game is, but also, uh, I can't believe they let you waste ROM space putting this in here. Uh, I wish that. I want to say it's... butter. <sighs> yeah, I'm terrible. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I'm the not acknowledging. <laughs> okay, Super Monkey Daibokan actually published. Oh, uh, uh, published by VAP. Developer is listed on Wikipedia as TechnoQuest, which is one of the most incredible developer names I've ever seen. TechnoQuest? I really miss certain kinds of, like, Early Japanese game developer names like Thinking Rabbit, TechnoQuest, Culture Brain. <laughs> like just these bizarre combinations of nonsensical English words. <laughs> Thinking Rabbit made Sokoban, which means that they made every block pushing puzzle you've ever seen in a video game. Oh no. 
But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the conclusion here is that if the game is interesting enough, we will all go back and play it. But it, it always becomes, is the game interesting and how much of a pain is it to play? Like, not in the sense of how much of it a pain is it to actually play when you've got the hardware, but how much of it is a pain? How much of a pain is it to, like, source hardware or emulate or what have you? Yeah. With that, though, I think we need to make sure that Gaijin has plenty of time to go do uh, family business. So let me uh, just let me just ask that we all start plugging. But in order. Okay. okay. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. My turn. Yeah. Okay. Turning off the plot induced amnesia now. <laughs> okay. Smart. I mean, because, you know, you can, it, it doesn't take much to fix that ever. It never does. Never does, no. So, yeah. So, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Uh, nine episodes, two side quests, and a really long paralogue. Um, for your reading pleasure, um, in print and in ebook format, individually in ebook format, so it's all bite-sized enjoyment. Um, it's uh, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor under Michael Yarimizu, Y A R I M I Z U, and uh, just I hope you enjoy and let me know what you think. Okay. Wheels. Um, you can watch me on my Twitch channel, Twitch.tv/askwheels, where I usually am streaming non-RPGs and other nonsense, like Resident Evil 7 at some point, I swear. Uh, and also on Sunday nights, we do um, Sunday Night Shenanigans with Wheels and Friends, where I play some RPG of some kind, and then we move over to fighting games generally. Unless everyone's too tired. Yes. <laughs> Can't happen. Yeah. Sunday. That's always fun. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. SMP5. There's a decent chance this time it will be SMP5. Oh, for sure. But yeah. Uh, as for me, I still do uh, Patreon nonsense at uh, patreon.com slash study. I started doing an on-again, off-again series uh, called PS2 Fossil Record that's just going to be me going over uh, games released essentially within the first year and a half of the PS2's lifetime from before there were actual good games on it and which are almost never commented upon in retrospectives which usually tend to start around like Metal Gear Solid 2 and FF10 and move forward from there uh, <laughs> by the time that this is actually posted there will likely be uh write-ups of ephemeral fantasia and orphan scion of sorcery uh but also intended for uh looks in the near-term future are things with names like fantavision and x squad and unison Reve rebels of rhythm and dance so uh if you want to like remember games that had not been that you had not thought of for like 20 years or that you never heard of at the time because who cared uh you know have Let's i got a series see. for you eternal ring 
Oh, Eternal Ring is absolutely, like, I've played a fair bit of that enough to feel confident writing something about it. Evergrace? Um, oh, I have a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> that what was the Ace game I got with Maging? my PS2. Say what? What is Ace Maging? I don't think that came out here. <laughs> it did not. Uh, yeah, I get, I'm going to talk about Evergrace and Evergrace 2, because both of those managed to sneak out beforehand, before anything that anyone cared about on the console. Uh, oh, a guest game that I don't remember ever seeing before. Is that what they say, Meijin or whatever was? Oh, no, that no, that, I'm looking farther down. Fresh Velger. Oh, yeah, huh. I never heard of that. But then again, guest games kind of just come here. I'm kind of curious. I'm going to look for it soon. Okay. And we got yeah. just found a Lord of the Rings joke in S&T 5. Oh. Far, far over the misted mountains cold to ley lines deep and uh, demons old. Ah, <laughs> <I need> a poet. <laughs> That's a good joke. I like See, that. This, this is what I'm missing by not being able to play the English translation. <laughs> uh, well, Dave, let me know if you really want any obscure PS2 games. I'll see what I can dig up. Um, oh, man. Y'all y'all tempt hey, me. You will tempt me. Or look through my review list and find something you'd like to comment on. Oh, fair enough. Wait a minute. Fair um, enough. Okay, never mind. Hress Velger from Gust did get an international release as Jet Eon Grand Prix. I've heard of that, but never seen it. <laughs> i have to look into this. Jet Eon Grand Prix. It's a How's racing game. I never paid attention to it. Yeah, okay. that makes perfect sense. How is this spelled? Jet Ion. Oh, Jet. Okay. Yeah, okay. That. Yeah. Okay. I wonder what the hell Gust was doing making this. I mean, they occasionally decided to, to go do random stuff to see if anything else would catch on, but they kind of left most it... of them behind in the PlayStation era. Yeah. So, at least for when it came to completely jumping genres. Yeah, just it's one of it's one of those things where it's like weird to see that it happened because like it's, it's, this is so outside of what I would associate with them. Yeah. But yeah, so um if you want to um quote any of my reviews for examples of really weird PlayStation 2 stuff, I've got a few. I will be happy to dig through you all the, yeah. through your archive to both find things to remind myself of what I'm looking for and to dig up uh, quotations and further con clarifying context. Yep. Let's see. I'll see here. Well, Final Fantasy X was fairly early in the system's lifespan. Yeah, ten, FF10's US release is kind of where I'm putting my cutoff. As okay, because, like, I mean, it was... July nineteenth in, in Japan, two thousand one in Japan. Yeah, and then it's like it's December of two thousand one wow. in America. Uh, it can vote. Cool. Yes, yes, it can. Scary, I'm just looking don't you for think? Eco, y'all, because I know it should be down here somewhere. Oh, I just realized my arbitrary cutoff actually allows me to talk about Eco. That'll be fun. Okay. Love Eco, but yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Talk to y'all later. I need to finish cooking up some stuff and bring some laundry in. Sure. Okay. See ya. Okay.
See ya. See ya. Yeah, we're we're just about done anyway. That uh, that Patreon is once again uh, patreon.com slash game culture study. Uh, all the all the essays on it are free. Uh, you do not have to pay and I really appreciate it if you do. I can always use the cash, but you do not need to feel obligated. I would be happy just to know people are reading as well. Um, but yeah. Uh, there's also narrated versions of them, so if you just have more time to listen to things, that's also an option. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can... Oh, also, of course, you should check out uh, the RP Gamer Twitch stream, which has stuff going on going on basically every day, and plenty of uh, different, like, different kinds of streaming to suit all tastes. From Wheels is barely awake... Uh, <laughs> ba barely awake background to any given Q&A quest episode... To uh, you know the the more focused and thoughtful things that happen from people who yes. are not. But like uh, Phil, who's on all the time, who will yeah, who can talk your ear off in a good way. Known for it. Yes. But uh, yeah. In any case, uh, so yeah, uh, be sure to check that out. If you would like to ask us questions, you can put them in Discord. Uh, we'd like to once again thank. Fireminer and Berserk Alucard for this week's questions. Uh, but you can put them in the Discord. Uh, if you're not a member of the Discord for whatever reason, you can find it by going to the community tab of uh, RP Gamer and uh, clicking on Discord, where you will find a link to the uh, Discord. It's a lovely community, tons of nice people to talk to. <clears throat> in any case, uh, um, if you would prefer not to ask us questions through that medium, you can also leave a comment on one of our recent episodes. I try to keep track of what's on them. So, uh, and if if I somehow let something fall by the wayside, feel free to ask it again. I'm, no one's going to blame me for it. But, uh, let me just get in some thanks to everyone that showed up in my Twitch chat tonight, which included... Uh, and I'm not actually ending the stream. Anyone who's watching my stream, this is just to get it into the podcast. Uh <laughs> But I just realized the video on my stream is all messed up. Uh, thank you, Pew, Hollywood, Real Fat Tony, Dark Side, Charizard4249, and Dark, Dark Side for the raid. Much appreciated. Oh, and also Hollywood for the resub. Six months. My first Number actual, one fan. My first actual subscriber. <laughs> Noted wheels aficionado. After Silk, who randomly used his uh, free Twitch Prime sub while I was not even streaming. Owned. Um, now infamous story. Yeah, you're going to have to live with that for the rest of your life. That's what I was supposed to talk about and what we were playing. We tried out uh, Gloomhaven yesterday, and it was... Oh, that's what you were doing in this Discord. I saw yes. that, and I was like, I wonder what they're up to. It was a hilarious failure that I won't have to bring up next week. I'll give you a reminder. Okay. But, okay, yeah. Let's get back up to... get back to wrapping up the podcast so I can play Halo. Sure, why not? <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, if you, you know, if you want to ask us questions in the comments or the Discord are your best bet, but if you want to, you can also talk in the RP Game stream or the Ask Wheel stream during the podcast and we will try to read out questions that happen during that period thanks once again to Tam for being so active in the chat uh, otherwise see ya space cowboys
sige, 